All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Ephesians. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter four, where basically the idea of what Paul was doing was he was commanding these Gentiles to respond to the grace of God uh, by living righteous lives. That is, he wanted them to consider their former lives and how that they lived in all types of debauchery, sexual immorality, greediness, and their sinful former way of life. Consider that. And now, since you have been changed by the grace of God, granting you salvation, respond with a new life. And remember, Paul gave that scenario in the sense of kind of like taking off dirty old clothes, your former way of life, and putting on new clothing, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that righteous man of living that Paul wanted them to do. So therefore he wanted them to respond to God's grace by righteous living, remembering how they formerly lived their lives and no longer living this way, but living a life that is pleasing to Christ Jesus. And then we remember that he, in that text in what he was talking about, how primarily you can see his injection in the sense of how they were to live, especially towards one another. Now, there is a general sense of righteousness that Christians ought to have anytime, anywhere. But especially as we talked about this last week, and we're not going to rehash this again, but especially how they were to live towards one another. Don't lie to one another anymore, that we should be different in how we treat one another, loving one another. Don't brawl and fuss and fight and argue with one another, but instead be what? Loving towards one another and overall forgiving of each other. So we saw all of that with the expressed idea of how Christians should act, behave, and live towards one another but even generically how Christians should have, this should be uh, evidence in their overall character. All right, enough said about that. So now let's just get into chapter five. In chapter five, he continues that same idea of Christian character, what the Christian should be like, what things should be involved, how the Christian should live, how Christian should not live and things that Christians should not do. And he further elaborates on certain things. All right. We'll talk about all of that once we get there. But the idea is it is basically a continuation in chapter five of what Paul was talking about in chapter four and how that the Christian should live the renewed transformed life. So enough said about all of that. Let's just get into chapter five. We're going to break chapter five up into two videos. One, we're going to speak of the general life of the Christian as a whole. And then in the second part of chapter five, the specific life of the Christian localized with respect to you for the idea of the family. But we'll talk about all of that as we break the videos up. But first part, let's just deal with this now. Verse one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and the sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So notice you can tell by the very introduction of the word, therefore, 
we're bringing in the idea of the things that he was talking about at the end of chapter four. That is the transformed Christian life that Paul is telling, commanding uh, these Gentiles that he wants them to live. And so he sums it up by simply saying, being an imitator of God. That is, as God himself is holy and righteous, since we are now his children, we need to evidence, we need to imitate God in what? Holiness and righteousness. And all of this in the wrapper that he gives, that wrapper of how he wants us to live our lives, he simply calls it walk in love following the example of Jesus Christ. And the idea is Jesus gave himself completely over to the will of God, to be obedient to God. And this is evidence, that's, the, that's that Levitical offering of the whole burnt offering. The whole burnt offering was the sacrifice to the which that offering that was given on the altar of burnt offering was given in totality. And the spiritual indication of all of this was, is something that is wholly given to God. So what Paul is saying is Jesus gave his life completely over to God. And that life that Jesus gave to the father was well pleasing to God. And that's what it means by the odor of a sweet smelling savor in the nostrils to God. God looked at the offering of Jesus's life of obedience. And what did God say? As he smelled that offering of obedient life, I am well pleased with this offering and it is acceptable. So Paul is saying that we should have a similar life that is well pleasing to God following the example of Jesus Christ. All right. Three, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks for this, you know, with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. So let's stop there. So he continues to talk about the Christian life to speak of, to speak negatively of things that not should, that should not be a part of the Christian life. And he speaks of what? immorality, impurity, and greed. Now, there is a relationship of all of these three things as a whole, but specifically a relationship with the first two, immorality and impurity or uncleanness. And it speaks of sexual sins. So what is he saying? Sexual sins should not be a part of the Christian life and sexual sins. That is fornication, having sexual relations with any individual with whom you are not married or adultery, having sexual relations with an individual 
when you yourself are married, but the individual you are having a sexual relationship with is not your married partner. Such fornication, adultery, or sexual immorality. This also is a generic term. That is, it's a broad term that Paul uses to speak of any sexual sins. And if you want to look at more of a definition for such, you can find that even in the Old Testament. That is Leviticus chapters 18 and 20. Uh, 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 homosexuality, all types of sexual perversion as is enumerated in these two chapters. As Christians, we should never have any form of engagement with these sexual sins. And notice the strong language that Paul uses must not even be named among you. And then he continues such immorality is improper. It is not fitting. That's that word that is used, not fitting for God's people. So all men are sexual immorality. And also he included what with that greed, greediness. So that could be uh, brought in that inference of sexual impurity, sexual immorality with their greediness engaging in these things, or it could be the sense of greed in the simplistic way. When remember when John talks about lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes, lust of the eyes, and lust of the eyes brings in the sense of greediness. So as far as the desire, the constant, persistent, uh, 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 just greedy desire for material things of this world. So he is saying that certain things should never be in the conduct of Christians. Then he continues to talk about in verse number four, that filthiness. And let me just simply read it and I'll go back. Filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting. These things too are not proper or not fitting. And here, what we seem to have is an expansion of what Paul talked about in chapter four. Remember in chapter four, verse 29, when he said, let no unwholesome word come from your mouth no unwholesome word. So here, as he gets into chapter five, he seems to elaborate or expand on what he means when he says unwholesome words. So what are unwholesome words? Filthy talking, filthiness, and silly talk. And this seems to suggest that uh, uh, sexual jesting and sexual talking and sexual language and joking and things that it is you just some things it's just not good for Christians to say or to talk about and notice filthiness silly talk coarse jesting all of this brings a denoting of sexual sexuality crude language it also can incorporate profanity saying words that we ought not to say there is a language, there is a way of speaking that is just should be hurtful to the ears and it should be a turnoff to come from the mouth of Christians. And he, this is what Paul is talking about. We should not speak in certain ways, use certain language, use certain words 
speak about certain things. And Paul is going to talk about things that were done in the darkness that we should be ashamed of. This is not fitting for Christians. So again, what the idea of what Paul is talking about is certain things that are not fitting for Christian conduct certain things that we should do. We should walk in love. We should evidence righteous conduct like Jesus did. And this righteous conduct of Jesus was pleasing in the sight of God. But on the reverse side, we should avoid certain things, sexual immorality in our lives, impurity, all types of uncleanness and greediness and the language that we use, the words that we speak. We should reject these things, but instead of speaking in words that are unfitting for Christians, he says what we should be giving of thanks. And then in verse number five, and I want to draw your attention to verse number five, he speaks with a language of definiteness, the emphasis that he gives when he says for this, you know, with certainty. Now, let, let me deal with the, 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 the verse as a whole. What do you know with certainty? No immoral or impure person or covetous person. Notice the immoral and impure. Go back to verse number three, the immorality and the impurity. And then the covetous man, it goes back to what? The greedy person. See how it all works? So the immoral, impure, and covetous man, and notice he said, such a person is an idolater. You are not a worshiper of God, the greedy one. You are a worshiper of idols. You are a worship of your own greed. This person has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. The emphasis that he places here, such a one who says, now here's the idea. You say that you are a Christian, but you are practicing the very things that Paul has commanded should not even be seen among Christian sexual immorality, all forms of uncleanness, homosexuality, uh, 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 and all of this kind of foolishness. I can't even remember all of the terms that this world gets into with transgenderism, uh, genderism, LGBTQ+, all of that type of foolishness. This should never be named amongst you. So if you do do these things, if you practice these things, if you are a one a consumed in greed, covetousness, he says this, I want you to know for certain now, now let's get into our uh, textual uh, uh, observance of this. When he says no with certainty, that's, it's a beautiful way he said that. He said in the Greek, iste genoskontes. That is, the iste is, the, um, is actually a verbal form. It is a perfect tense. Is a perfect second person plural. It is a perfect imperative, a perfect imperative of oida. And then he says, genoskontes, which literally is to know, and this is nothing more than a present uh, participle. But the point that I'm making is this. He is using this 
uh, imperative, this perfect imperative, which means to know. And then he uses this present tense uh, participle, which also means to know. And that's why we translated that know with certainty. So he is giving an emphatic and the emphaticness is seen most definitely in the Greek. We translated it emphatically to say, don't fool yourself. Know this with certainty. And it's a it's, They hit it dead on the money with the translation. Know with certainty. There is no shadow of a doubt. What? You will not see Jesus in peace. You will not go to heaven if you are such a one who practices sexual immorality, sexual impurity, covetousness, and greed. And don't let nobody fool you with small talk. Don't let nobody try to convince you that you can live such a lifestyle and go to heaven. That's why he says in verse number six, let no one deceive you with empty words. I don't care what they say. I don't care how they want to say they have a relationship with Jesus and I love Jesus, but nevertheless, I'm a practicing homosexual. I love Jesus, but nevertheless, I'm transgender. I love, I'm a gay Christian. There are no such things as a gay Christian. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Why? Because for those who do these things, what? the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So instead of you being a gay Christian, what you are is a gay person who will experience God's wrath and the ultimate wrath of God is the lake of fire, not hell itself, but Revelation chapter 20, if your name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, you are tossed into the lake of fire to suffer eternal judgment forever. Okay. I'm preaching. Let me go back to teaching and calming it down. So what is he simply saying? That Christians ought to evidence a righteous lifestyle. And if indeed you have been saved and have experienced the goodness and the grace of God, show it by the way that you live, live like Jesus. But let not sexual immorality, any form of impurity, greediness, this should never even be named amongst Christian. And know for certain, if you are practicing these things, by the practice of these sexual immorality, impurity, greediness, it is the evidence, the practice of these things is the proof you have never been saved. And since you have never been saved, you experience what the unsaved experience. That is the ultimate wrath of God. And he says to all Christians, don't let nobody deceive you. And even don't you deceive yourself. If you don't live this way, it's just the evidence that you haven't been saved. You, you go straight to, and most people call it hell, but we understand it to be eschatologically the lake of fire, you will suffer the wrath of God. All right, let's continue. So he says in verse number seven, 
Don't be partakers with them. That is anybody who's living this type of a lifestyle, the sexual immorality and things of that nature. True Christians should depart, have no fellowship. And that word that he said talks about for, for partaker, it is rooted in the word fellowship. Have no fellowship with them. Even professing Christian, so-called, they profess to be Christian, but nevertheless, they practice this type of sinful lifestyle. Don't even fool with even such Christians. Verse eight, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. And let's stop there and back up before I even go any further. So what is he saying? Number one, he is simply saying again, what we've been saying the whole time, that since you have indeed been saved and born again and taught of Christ, what is righteousness, Therefore, don't live like the unrighteous, the sexual immorality, the debauchery of sin and all of those things that we talked about previously. Don't live like them, but live as children of light. Since you are of light, you are not of darkness. And the darkness relates to sin, the sinful conduct of the unrighteous, the sexual immorality and all of that stuff. Children of light should live and walk in the light. That is walking in righteousness. We should avoid darkness. All right. So that's what he's trying to say. Then he says in verse number 10, uh, 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 the fruit of light, fruit of light is nothing more than, I forgot, verse number nine. The fruit of light is nothing more than righteous behavior. And that's all, right? And that righteous behavior in what? Goodness, righteousness, and the truth. The truth is truth of Christ, the truth that has been taught concerning righteousness in Jesus Christ. Then he talks about verse number 10, and that's not a really good translation in verse number 10 when he says, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. He doesn't use manthano, which is usually the Greek word for discipleship, brings about the idea of learning. But he doesn't say that. He says the word dokimansantes, dokimansantes te esteen, you are stone toy kurior. That is, dokimansante means that it's the idea of proving or evidencing. That is, so the better translation, the way to understand it is, by our righteous lifestyle, we are proving we are evidencing what is pleasing to the Lord. What is not pleasing to the Lord? The sexual immorality, the uncleanness, the greediness. God, this is not, remember that sacrificial language that he used earlier? This is not a sacrifice that is pleasing to God that was evidenced in the life of Jesus. But what is proof and evidencing uh, uh, of what is pleasing to God is righteousness. 
and righteous living. And by our righteous living, we are not trying to learn, but we are evidencing to the unsaved world. We are evidencing to people who live these lifestyles that God does not approve of. We're evidencing by how we live what is pleasing to God. So in verse number 10, that's not a good translation, trying to learn. The translation should be evidencing or proving what is pleasing to God. And so therefore he says what? Verse number 11, do not participate in the unfruit. Okay, let me get into verse number 11 just in case I didn't read it. But we're going to bring all of this in to tie off this section. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even, notice, expose them. How do you expose them? By how you live. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, okay, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Now, we will probably rehash verse number 15. So what is he simply saying here? So again, he is, he is what? Don't do the things that I just, he just told you about the sexual immorality and all the uncleanness and the greediness. We don't do these things, but we live the life, the righteous life that God demands having no participation with false Christians, Christians, people who say that they're saved, but live in the way that Paul has said not to live saying that make no mistake. You will not see the kingdom of God. We don't fool with false Christians and we don't have fellowship with the world. Now, what he is, he is not saying is don't deal with the world at all. Talk to the world. That's not what he's saying. He is just simply saying to join in with them in the practice of these things. That's why that word is translated. Do not participate, not, not to deal with, but don't join in with them in the practice of these unfruitful deeds, but what reject and expose them. And how do you expose them by the way that you live by righteous living and your righteous living here is called light because what, whatever exposes those things in the darkness, it is the light that exposes the darkness. So he continues on to say, as light exposes, you live in such a way, and thus it is said, verse number 14, and here is simply a some sort of a, a an amalgamation of scriptural passages. That is, he is not simply quoting one particular verse of scripture, but probably a number of them. And we can see this with Isaiah and probably in Psalm as well. But also, this could probably be a song, a song that was known in Paul's day when he says, awake sleeper, rise from the dead, 
Christ will shine on you. Christ will give you light. So this would probably be a song or some type of a composition or an amalgamation of different passages. But the point that he's trying to say, and let me just bring this part to a close, is he says, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you live. Live righteously and not unrighteously. And then he says, what? As a wise man, a truly man, a man who truly has wisdom is a man who lives in righteousness. A foolish man indulges in all manner of sinful conduct, the sexual immorality. Are you wise? And that's the kind of question that Paul leaves us with. Okay, let's continue now. Verse number 16. Making the most of your time. Yours not in the text, but making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine. You know what? Let's stop there. Just those two verses. So you can see he's simply continuing the idea of being, being wise. You, be, you are wise when you recognize how you need to live your life with respect to the time. These are the last days. How should a man be living his life in the last days? With the view that the Lord Jesus Christ one day will come back with the view that Jesus will one day judge the world in righteousness. He will judge every man who stands before him. How should you redeem the time? And this shows whether you are wise or not to live in righteousness is an indication of true wisdom to live in debauchery is the evidence that you are a foolish man, not living your life with respect to the time, the day that you're living in kind of brings my mind back to the phraseology, the sign of the times. But anyway, so what does he say? Make the most of your time. Actually, your is not in uh, the Greek text. It's tone chiron. Make the most of the time. Then notice what? The days are evil. And that goes with that little diatribe that I just gave you guys. The sign of the time that Jesus is going to bring you back into the judgment, into judgment one day. The days themselves, the, the time that we are living in, it speaks so well of this day. These are evil times, evil times. So therefore, Paul wants us to make a clear distinction a clear distinction in this evil day into the which people are living all kinds of evil ways. The sexual immorality that especially describes this day. I have never seen in, in this time that I'm living in, in all of my life, sexual immorality, sexual identity, literally permeates everything. The, the culture is all about sexuality. And really all that is about a rebellion and rejection against God and divine standards. But my point is, Paul wants us to make a distinction in holy Christian living. This 
evidences by the way that we live holy, a manner that is pleasing to God. It evidences what is acceptable. That's the dokamatso uh, root word. It evidences what is approved and acceptable unto God. Righteous living. At the same time, it shows a drastic contrast in how the world lives in all forms of sexual immorality, perversion, LGBTQ plus, and all of that foolishness, transgender. Christians should evidence their lifestyle should be a clear distinction of what is acceptable to God. And by the way that we live, it should reprove the works of darkness. It should reprove how the world lives. So therefore, our lifestyle should be a big difference in how the world lives. Christianity is more than lip service. Is how you live. That's again, let me preach a little bit more. Bear with me. That's again when Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. If you don't live this righteous way that I've been talking about, and if you are living in this unrighteous way that I've been telling you not to, the kingdom of God in Christ, you will never see. So the whole point, you can see Paul's thrust in this section, how he wants the lifestyle of a Christian to reflect what God approves and to, 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 in a sense, reprove the world for its immoral lifestyle. But let me finish. Let me finish. So this evidence is the fact that you are wise when you understand this is an evil world, the days are evil, and you live a godly lifestyle. Bringing it to a close, 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject one to another in the fear of Christ. Okay, so he finishes, and we're wrapping up this particular section here, and Paul is wrapping this section. He talks about, again, Christian conduct, and over, you can kind of see this over against what the world does. We don't do that. What is it we don't do? We don't get drunk with wine and the whole sense of being influenced by anything, whether wine, drugs, or anything else. But here specifically, be not drunk with wine. And what he's talking about is things that influence your behavior. Wine influences. When you drink too much, it influences your behavior and things that you would not normally do, you do. Why? People simply say, well, he's drunk. He's acting like that because he's drunk. He's saying that because he's drunk. I've even heard of people, that, uh, and this has blown, I've never been drunk a day in my life, thanks to God. N no glory on my part because of that, but whatever. Thank God I ain't never been drunk. But I've heard of people getting drunk, going to nightclubs and and leaving with the opposite sex or whatever with another person and wind up, wake up the next morning in the bed and they wake up and 
Oh my, I just cannot imagine that. But the point is, the drinking influenced them. And also, uh, let me tell you something else too about drugs. Drugs also influence you. Thus, Christians should never use any form of narcotics or drugs. Anything that alters the behavior. But let's get back to the text. So he says, don't be drunk with wine, but instead of being influenced by wine and other things that could influence your conduct in an ungodly manner, things that will influence your conduct and what the whole point of what he's been talking about in an ungodly manner, be influenced by the Holy Spirit. That's what he means when he says be filled with the spirit. He's not talking about being struck with the Holy Ghost and having some kind of emotional response. No, 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 no. He's talking about allowing the spirit of God to influence you as the conduct said. And how should the spirit of God influence you? What conduct should you evidence as the God's spirit influence you? Speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So the spirit influences you to speak. Notice again, he is evidencing that thing uh, back to chapter four, verse 29. Let no unwholesome words. And then again in five and four, let there be no filthiness, silly talk, and coarse jesting. Notice, instead of unwholesome words, instead of filthy talking, the cussing, the coarse jesting, the sexual language and innuendos and things of that nature, let the Holy Spirit influence you to speak how? In psalms and hymns, in words that build up, in words that edify, in that edify the hearers, in words that are fit for the moment. So anyway, let's just close it out. Let us, instead of being people of filthy mouths, filthy lives, I, that's kind of like a summary, isn't it guys? Filthy mouths, cause unwholesome words and the filthy jesting, don't have that, saints should not have that. Filthy lies, sexual immorality, fornication, adultery, all types of unclean sins, of sexual sins, even greediness. These things are not to be a part of the Christian life, but a Christian life that reflects holiness, like our Lord Jesus did, and a Christian mouth that speaks of good things, Psalms, Him, things that benefit the occasion and benefit the hearers always giving praise and thanksgiving to God. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for saving me. And whatever words that we say, when people see and hear us, they can see a clear distinction in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the difference in how the world does, okay? And then finally he says, as far as all of God's people, now this is important as we get ready to transition to the next section. Of course, we'll talk about that in the next video. But all of God's people with respect to one another, that is Christian to Christian, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That brings about the sense of humility let all of nobody be proud and arrogant. You can't tell one another nothing. You don't want to listen and you're both. No, 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 no. Be humble of spirit. 
That's what it means. Subject one to another in the fear of Christ. Have a spirit of humility. All right. Thanks, guys, for joining me with that section. It went a little bit longer than I had anticipated. But overall, I'm not going to even rehash it in this particular summary. But overall, you can see the thrust of what I, the Apostle Paul was trying to say. That is, live a Christian life of holiness following the example of Jesus himself. This was pleasing to God. And it proves the kind of life that God says, this is desirable by me, okay? At the same time, don't, have, don't live like the world, even as you may have lived in your former life in all types of sexual impurity, fornication, adultery, thefts, and all and on and on, all of these things. Don't fool yourself. If you are doing these things, if anybody else is doing this, Know for certain. Remember that emphatic words that the idea when it says know with certainty. Know for certain. The kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, heaven, you will never see. Hell, you are going. You cannot practice such a lifestyle and go to heaven. But anyway, then then he continues on. So instead of living in this ugly way, live in a righteous manner. Instead of speaking words, being influenced with drunkenness, to be influenced by the Holy Spirit and speak words that edify the moment. Okay, enough said about all of that. I think we basically got into a bunch of repetition. Thank you guys for joining me with that. And join me next time as we complete the end of chapter five, as we said earlier, and Paul begins to localize certain commandments for the Christian life. Now, if this lesson has been a blessing and a benefit to you, and if the Lord God moves your mind, your spirit, to support this ministry, there's a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry. And for all of you who have previously supported the ministry, thank you for all that you do. All right, guys. God bless you. See you next time.